Would you pray with me this morning as we prepare to, to continue in the Gospel of John? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this morning for the reminder of, of your deep, wide, long, and high love for us and how you've demonstrated that in ways that we can see in ways that we can't see. This morning, Lord, as we look at your words and in the, your life, I pray that this would be uh, seed planted in the soil, watered by your spirit, and that would be seed that would produce fruit in our lives, in our community, and in our world. Lord, we thank you for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, actually, let me take a step back. A few months ago, uh, I was on sabbatical, for those of you who didn't know, and I was out of town. I was on a retreat, and uh, so my, I left my family home alone and um, hoping that all would go well. They, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I have an 18-year-old there, so he would help if he needed to, but in the middle of the night, like at 11 o'clock at night, my, Natasha tells me the story that they, the doorbell rang, rang at our house. And, you know, she was asleep and had been asleep for a little while. And so she went to see who was at the door. And so she came out of the, you know, her bedroom and you had her robe on or whatever. And she looks down and she sees Sam at the front door talking to a police officer at our front door. And she's like, oh, man, what? And so she kind of, you know, hustled down the stairs and she goes out to the front door and sees the police officer. And she goes, oh, <laughs> I know him. There was a, the police, it was a police officer in Sherwood that used to be a former youth group uh, student of mine when we lived in, in Newburgh and we were doing youth ministry there. And, and he had noticed that our, our garage door was open. And so he just, he thought, hey, I, you know, let me help you out. So he came and knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, whatever, and, and told him that the garage door was, was open. And so they thanked him and we, you know, I think they talked and caught up for a little bit out on the porch at 11 o'clock at night. But kind of just the things that you do. But it kind of went on with their day. Fast forward about a month up until like two weeks ago. Uh, I wake up in the morning, like just as I normally do, I look at my phone and I got a text and it's like, hey, just, just, a, just a reminder to, to shut your door. And he, I, he got this picture and he's, he sent me a picture in the middle of the night with that spotlight and if you need to borrow a weed whacker, it's up in the top left in the back of my garage there. But, but he said, hey, maybe I'll get a clicker, you know, and I can just close it for you when I'm, when I'm driving by. And, and I was like, well, now I really owe you lunch, and so that sounds great. And, and so then we, we were at the football game the next night at homecoming, and, and he was there with the, kind of the, one of the other officers that are at the game. And so we were just chit-chatting and, and talking about it. And, and he's like, yeah, I actually went up and, and tried the keypad, and he said, and he told us the numbers, and I won't tell you what they are because I don't know all of you, but, but he said, and he was two digits off. Because, well, and partly because like, we share some similar dates. I'm not going to tell you if it was my birthday or someone's birthday or what they what, But he kind of knew, like, that, so he tried it, but he forgot to push, like, the zero one to, like, to open or close the door. And so he could have actually done it for us, but, but he didn't. And so we went on with our night and, and got up the next morning, and, and Natasha goes out to go running, and she's, are you kidding me? Did we leave that garage door open again? Like, the night after we saw this guy at the game, we... We left the door open, and it, was, it wasn't we, it was me, and, and she was like, are you kidding me? You left the do door? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, and maybe you can relate to this, is I knew what I was supposed to do, and yet I failed to do it. And maybe that's something that you can, that you can relate to uh, in this story, but maybe it was just a story, but in life, sometimes 
I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to think. I know how I'm supposed to act. I know how I'm supposed to respond in a certain situation. And yet, I even know who I'm supposed to look like as I'm doing this. I'm supposed to look like Jesus, right? I'm supposed to be becoming transformed into the image of Jesus as I'm doing these things. But what I'm, I'm realizing is that sometimes following Jesus is a lot like playing golf. And what I mean by that is that in golf, like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And as I've learned to play more and more golf, I've just, I've understood, like, this is the, this is the concept, this is the knowledge, this is what it takes to hit a beautiful shot. And yet, knowing something and then actually doing something are two completely different things. Like, knowing how to follow Jesus, knowing what to say, how to think, how to respond is one thing. But then actually putting that into action looks completely different. And so I just keep getting up into the tee box, right? I'm just like, all right, I think I know what I'm supposed to do here. And it's like a slice. I shouldn't have said that. I'll try again. Slice. Shouldn't have thought that. Try again. Slice. Shouldn't have responded in that way. And I, I find myself a little frustrated with myself. In fact, I feel like Paul, when he describes in Romans chapter 7, his own uh, battle with this. The passage will be up on the screen. This is in the, the message translation, which is a little bit more contemporary version of, of how this might look in like the NIV. But, but listen to this where Paul says, I know that all, God command, all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise, so if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I believe I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it but I can't do it. I decide to do good but I, re I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand in this moment, but my guess is that if, if I were to ask you, can you relate to this? I'd see a lot of hands. And if I were to ask, can you relate to this? It's okay because that just simply means you're human. <laughs> like this is something that we can all relate to. And it's something that actually, as we'll see today in John chapter 18, it actually puts us in what, what some would consider good company. You see, in John chapter 18, Jesus had just finished spending the night with his disciples where he was preparing them for his departure. He washed their feet. He taught some things. They ate some things. He prayed with them. And then they left, right? We talked about this last week when Jamie was preaching. They left this upper room and they went out to a garden. It was a garden that they had gone to a number of times before. It was a garden where some really significant things had taken place. And that's where Judas knew that they would be. And so Judas brings this battalion of soldiers and, and priests and religious leaders. And, and they confront Jesus in this moment. And he kind of just is kind of cordial with them and asks them some questions and, and, and says who he is. And, and, and they're ready to arrest him. But not without a fight from Peter, right? You remember that last week where he fought and cut the guy's ear off and Malchus and and that's actually where we pick up today. So this morning, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. John chapter 18, verses 15 to 27. 
Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But, Jesus, or, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then an ass sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Oh, man. Poor, poor Peter. Right? I mean, like, in, in this situation, all he was trying to do, it says at the beginning that him and, and this other disciple, they were just trying to follow Jesus. And honestly, that's all Peter ever really had tried to do for the last three, year, three years. He's just trying to, to follow Jesus. But maybe more than any other person that we read about it in the New Testament, we see Peter often trying to do something, trying to follow Jesus, and yet failing to do what he was maybe supposed to do or how he was maybe supposed to act in those moments. We see it all throughout the, the Gospels. And here's, I have four examples this morning. The first is found in Matthew chapter 14. These aren't going to come up, but you remember them, right, where Jesus comes out to the disciples on the water, and, and Peter says to him, he's like, oh, that's Jesus. Lord, if that is you, invite me to come out. And Jesus says, come out. And Peter walks out, and the wind begins to blow, and then all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to sink, and Jesus reaches out and says, let me, let me give you a hand, and helps Peter back up and takes him into the boat. And then later, or maybe earlier, later in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be going where you can't go. And he was basically predicting his own death. And, and Peter thinks it's a good idea to maybe challenge that and say, Jesus, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. And, and Jesus says, now get behind me, Satan, and let me finish, you know, what the Lord has sent me here to do. And so Peter had failed in that moment. And and then obviously last week, we, we saw the story, right, where uh, Jesus is in the garden. Judas brings all the people to arrest him. Jesus kind of has the situation under control. He's no, he knows what's going on. And yet after everything's been said and done, he's about to be arrested. Jesus, or Peter, thinks it's a great idea to, to pull out his sword and, and slice the Malchus ear off. And, and Jesus is like, okay, let me pick that up and you know, set that back on there. And let me take care of this for you, Peter. And then really just like the, the highlight or the, the low light really is what we read about today. 
when Peter denies Jesus three times. This incident is not recorded just in John's gospel. This incident is recorded in all four gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm sure Peter was like, thanks, guys. I get it. I'm not going to forget it, but I appreciate you, you doing that, keeping that at the forefront of, of all of our memories for all of eternity. And I think most of us, as we read and, and hear this story, I think most of us could probably relate to Peter. Like, we get it, right? If we've been following Jesus for very long in our lives, we at some time have probably felt inspired like, by Jesus. Like, I'm going to follow you whatever it takes. We start singing the Chris Tomlin song, like, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You know, if you move, I'll move. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, Jesus. And then as soon as the rubber hits the road, as soon as the, the threats start to come, and as soon as it begins to become uncomfortable for us, we, like Peter, we falter and we fail. I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's had this experience where I had great intentions. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do and then I sliced it way to the right and I wasn't able to put into practice what I actually knew I was supposed to do in my heart and in my soul and in my mind. See, and that's what happened here. We saw that in chapter 13, maybe you remember this, it was a handful of weeks ago, it might have been even been months ago, I can't remember when we were in John chapter 13, but, but Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave, and where I'm going, you won't be able to follow me. You're not going to be able to come where I'm going. And Peter says, why, why can't we go? Why can't, why can't I come with you? I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says back to Peter, he replies to him, he says, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And as time would tell, Jesus was right. Peter knew what he wanted to do, but he failed to do it. Now, it appears to me, at least, as I look at this story, and I've also, I've read ahead a little bit. I don't know if you've done that, like just cheating ahead in, in John's gospel, but but what I, I think what happened here had a significant impact on Peter. Because if you read ahead in John's gospel, you'll see that Peter kind of just disappears for a while. We don't hear from or see Peter until after Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected. And, and Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. And we're going to get to this in a couple weeks. But she sees Jesus and goes and runs and finds Peter and John. And says, the Messiah, our King, Jesus, our rabbi, is, is alive. That's the next time we'll get to see Peter again in this story. I was reading this week as I was doing some research on, on failure. I was reading in Psychology Today and this article that talked about just what they said were some surprising um, results or some surprising facts about failure. And I brought four of them or five of them for you today. The first is this, is that failure makes the same goal seem less attainable. When we fail, it's maybe harder to, to try to do that same thing. We think it's unattainable. Failure also distorts your perceptions of your abilities, like your understanding of who you are. Failure makes you believe you're helpless. As they said a single failure experience can create an unconscious fear of failure. And then they said fear of failure often leads to unconscious self-sabotaging. Now, when we hear those things, and I, I read them and I just kept thinking about Peter and that. I was like, man, I could, I could see all of these things. Like, this is what's going on in Peter's mind. This is what's happening. All of a sudden, he just, and why he just disappears. And we're, don't worry, we're going to get back to Peter at the end of John's gospel. It's, it's a beautiful and, and redemptive story. But 
in this moment, he just disappears. And, and part of it, we just don't even see. John doesn't tell us any of how Peter responds in this situation. And he doesn't even tell us how Jesus responds in this situation. He just calls it as it is. He just says, this is what happened. This is when the rooster crowed. And then John just moves on with the story. But if you were here last week, when we looked at the first part of this scene and in the garden and, and all the soldiers and, and the ear slicing and, and whatnot, we see Jamie Johnson was preaching and he asked us a question last week. And here was his question. He said, how do we resp- respond to, to threats? And he gave us a couple options because we saw what Peter did in that moment. We can respond with, with power. We can try to fight, like pull out the sword and, and be aggressive and go after it. Or he said, sometimes we can like seek comfort or we can, we can hide. And that's the other thing we saw Peter do just somewhat moments later when he was confronted by a, the servant girl. And he said, I, I'm not one of those. And he just hid from the situation, hid from the opportunity. But let me ask you maybe a different question today. How do you respond when you fail? And this could be just in life, yeah, right? You know, like you have a, something you're supposed to do at work or at home and you just fail and you mess up. But maybe even beyond that, when we fail or falter in how we're following Jesus, in his desire for us to, to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as ourselves. How do you respond when you fail? Maybe your response is is disappointment. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's frustration, sadness, guilt, shame. Like, like you could fill in the blank. You maybe have your own way of responding when you fail. But let me ask you maybe a follow-up question to that. How does the way others respond to your failure impact the way that you respond to your failure? Does that make sense? Like for maybe example, if you had, had a parent that would just get really mad at you when you failed, or you have a spouse that's disappointed in you when you fail, or a coach that punishes you when you fail, you could continue on in, in that list of things. How does the response of others to your failure cause you to respond when you fail? And I ask you that because I think sometimes we can easily begin to transpose how others respond to our failures, that, that response. We can begin to transpose that and place that on to Jesus and say, man, when I fail Jesus, that I'm going to experience his anger. Or maybe he's going to distance himself from me. Or maybe he's going to punish me. What, you, again, you can fill in the blank, but it, is that impact how you think about the way Jesus will respond to your failure? But I want you to listen to this same story that John told us today, but from a, a different gospel author. It's, it's also found, like I said, in all of them, but, and they're pretty similar in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'm going to read to you from Matthew, or sorry, from Luke today, chapter 22, verse 54 to 62. And here's how Peter tells it, and I'm kind of picking up partway through. It says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the, fire, in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little while later, someone saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It says, when the rooster crows, that Jesus looked straight at Peter. Now, we could easily infer or imply or impose upon that situation that, that Jesus looked at him with disdain, that he looked at him with disappointment, that he looked at him with frustration, that he was just like, I told you, I told you so, right? Just like shaking his head in, in disbelief at, at Peter. But that's not how, I don't believe that's how Luke was telling the story. You see, Luke's word choice here is intentional. He says that Jesus looks straight at him. And that word, in, when you look at it in the Greek, it's that looking straight at him is actually just one word, and it actually could be better understood as meant to look attentively, to gaze earnestly and searchingly. You see, I believe in this moment that Jesus was looking beyond Peter's failure. He was looking beyond Peter's lack of faith. He was looking beyond Peter's doubts or, or, or disappointment. And he was just simply looking at Peter. He was just simply seeing Peter. Have you ever worn uh, like those polarized glasses? Especially like, I mean, if you're going fishing and, and you, you go out to the lake and you just, the sun is out and you look at the lake and it's just, you, all you can see is the sun and all the reflections on the lake. But then you put on the polarized glasses and then all of a sudden you can see the fish in the water. Like it just removes the, the, the reflection on the surface. And that's how I believe Jesus saw Peter in that moment when he looked straight at Peter and when he looked gazingly and intently at Peter. He didn't see his failures. He didn't see his lack of faith. He saw through them and beyond them to the heart, soul of the man that he knew. The man that he had known from before the beginning of time. The man who he probably knew, but obviously he knew that this would happen in this moment. And he looked at him with not a look of disappointment or frustration or whatever. He looked at him with a look of, of grace, love, and mercy as he looked at Peter. And it was in this moment, right, that, we see, he, that Luke tells us that Peter went outside. He says that he wept bitterly. Now, I think that there were kind of maybe a couple of reasons why he did that, why Peter went out and wept bitterly. It's because he knew two things. One, he, he knew that he'd messed up. Like he knew like his, his invitation from Jesus was to follow me, to be with me, to become like me, and to do the things that I do. And he's like, man, I missed the mark on that one. I failed. But in that same moment, not only did he know that he had messed up, that he had, he had failed, but he also knew in that exact same moment that I am loved by this man. Like this was a look not of, of anger or frustration. This was a look of, of love, care, and concern for Peter. And I think Peter, in that moment, with those two things in mind, it just, it just broke his heart because he knew just how messed up he is and unable to accomplish what he hopes to accomplish, how, how lacking he is in ability on his own and in his own strength. And yet at the same time, he knew just exactly how much he was loved by the one who he didn't even realize yet was going to go to the cross on his behalf and on our behalf. And it caused him to weep bitterly. 
And this is a reminder, I think, that, that Peter needed. But honestly, I think it's a reminder that we need this morning. Because if we're honest, I think if we were to compare ourselves, if we have Jesus on this side and, and Peter on this side, and we're like, okay, who am I more like? I think we're a lot more like Peter at this point than we are like Jesus. We have great intentions. We have great ideas. We know the things that we should think, do, say, and respond. And yet we're actually putting them into practice, actually looking like Jesus is actually harder than we thought it was going to be in the moment and more challenging to pull off in our own strength, in our own abilities than we thought it it was going to be when we decided to live in that way. And like Peter, we we fail to follow Jesus. We fail to to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We fail to love others as ourselves. And, And in some ways, we just simply fail to be human. Or maybe we are really human, but not human in the way that we were intended to be. Jesus actually tells a, a different story about maybe a similar look. And this, this story probably isn't unfamiliar to you. It's a story of, of a, a father and two sons, right? And, and the younger son is, is ready to, to have his inheritance. He's ready to have everything that the father would ever give him because he wants to go off and live his own life. And so he says, Father, can I have all the money that you owe me because I'm your son? And, and, and the father's like, yeah, here you go. He takes his inheritance. He goes off into a distant land, right? And he just lives his dream, right? Everything the way he wants it. All the people, all the food, all the drink, whatever. Anything and everything until the money runs out. And then he finds himself in a situation that he had never dreamed of being in. Just destitute and dirty. All he could do was work for a pig farmer and hope to eat the slop that the pigs were eating. He thought, man, if I... If I was just a servant in my, my father's house, I'd be eating better than I am right now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to just say to my father, I, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against God. And, and I, just forgive me. And, and so he heads home. And the way that, that Luke tells the story that Jesus was telling was he says that the, the father was looking out into the distance and he saw his son. He was looking in the distance, hoping for his son's return. It wasn't just like a passing glance, like, oh, just looking out there. Oh, there he is. But rather an intent looking to the distance for his son to return. And it says that the father ran to the son. He closed the gap, closed the distance between the, the relational distance and the physical distance between the father and the son. And when he looked at him in the eye, he, Jesus doesn't say this, but we can maybe just like insert it into the story. When he looked at him in the eye, he didn't see the dirt. He didn't see the filth. He didn't see the pig slop. He didn't see the grime. He saw his son. He looked and he saw his son and he, and he kissed him and he clothed him and he put on a ring on his finger and, and threw a feast for him because in this story that Jesus was telling it, he didn't focus on the failure. This wasn't a, a story about failure. It was a story that was all about love. I love this definition of love that Scott McKnight gives. He says it's a rugged commitment to being with, for, and unto another. When I perform wedding ceremonies, I, I, I bring this up to the to the future husband and, and wife. Like your, your love for one another is, is not a feeling. It's, it's not based on like the things that you can see on the surface, but it is this rugged commitment to being with, for, 
and unto one another. And we see that rugged commitment in this story that Jesus told of, of the Father and the Son. And we actually see this rugged commitment to be with, to, with for, and unto as Jesus is, is looking into Peter's eyes right after Peter had denied him three times. And we know this story, right? It's, it's called the, the prodigal son, right? That's not maybe unfamiliar, but I, I was actually surprised that I didn't already know this, but I, I was reading this week that, like, what the word prodigal means. I always, and maybe you're all just like, I can't believe you didn't know this. But I just always thought it meant, like, a son that returns home, right? Or a son that messed up. It's like, I just took the story in its context, and I just imposed my understanding based on the context of what prodigal meant. But prodigal actually means to, to spend extravagantly, to spend with, without limit, to spend almost wastefully in some ways. But it, um, it also means also to give with an extreme generosity. So when we read the story of the prodigal son, we're actually not reading a story of a prodigal son as much as we're reading a story of a prodigal father and a prodigal God who loves us, as we sang this morning, with a, a reckless love that will tackle any, any mountain or any darkness, whatever that you fill in the blank, he will come after us if and when we turn to him. You see, all of this, I don't think Peter was realizing in the moment, right? I mean, Peter, hindsight's twenty twenty. We have we can read the we can read the story and, and understand everything that is going on before, during, and after it. But Peter's living this out in the moment. All he knows is that he just failed Jesus. Jesus is arrested, and he's likely going to to, to die in, in the next however many days. And so he just weeps bitterly in the moment and in the situation, probably a, as a a sense of guilt and shame and even almost like confessing like I failed, but also just knowing what the repercussions of that failure might mean. But what, G what Peter didn't realize was that Jesus in this moment and in the moments to come, in the days to come, that Jesus was actually leading Peter and leading us in the way of love. John would later record in his letter, you know, 1 John, in 1 John 3.16, he would record this where he says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Because here's the thing for Peter, is that at the beginning, when, when Jesus first saw Peter in the boat and he said, hey, come and, and follow me, his invitation wasn't hey, come and fight for me. His invitation wasn't come and, and hide with me, it was come and, and follow me. He's come and be with me. Become like me. And then as you apprentice under me, begin to do the things that I do. And eventually, I think Peter would begin to realize that what Jesus was inviting him into was actually to come and, and die with me. And not necessarily a physical death, although we, we know that Peter's story that he would die a, a martyr's death. But he was saying, come and Follow me. Come and, and die with me. Die to yourself. Die to the things of this world. And enter into a new way of life. Enter a new way of being human. Dallas Willard would kind of capture it this way when he says, If we wish to follow Jesus and walk in the easy yoke with him, we will have to accept or take on or practice his overall way of life 
as our way of life totally. And if you've been on a, a journey with Jesus for any length of time, you realize that, you probably realize that this is not something that just happens overnight. We don't wake up the next morning after saying, I think I'm going to follow Jesus, and then the next day we are just like Jesus. It's a process. It's, it's a journey, right? It's, it's a movement from one spot to another, to another, to another. There's a great prayer by Pierre Deschardins. At the beginning, he says this. I won't read the whole prayer, but at the beginning, he says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. You see, my guess is that Peter probably felt the same way many of us feel when we're trying to follow Jesus. I've been following Jesus like every day for the last few years, and I just can't seem to get this thing right. I mean, I, I, that's my experience. I, I, I'm guessing it's similar to many of yours, and it certainly was Peter's. I've been following this Jesus day after day for, for years now, and I just seem to keep messing up in the same ways that I just seem to keep messing up. But in that moment, in that moment when, when Peter denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he laughed and he wept. I believe this was a moment where Peter had reached a, a breaking point or maybe a, a breakthrough where he realized his own inabilities. Like on his own, in his own strength, he could do nothing apart from Jesus. Just as Jesus had taught him hours before, apart from me, you can do nothing. But as Jesus would move through the next few days and as he would go to the cross through the cross into the grave out of the grave and into a resurrected life I believe that Peter would be awakened to the reckless love of Jesus and the power that that love has to conquer sin to conquer death to conquer failure to conquer anxiety to conquer again you can you can fill in the blank because eventually we will see that Peter either begins to figure out or actually what we'll see is that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of the power of love that dwells within Peter, he was better able to live a life of following Jesus. It was Peter who would later write in a letter to Christians who were simply trying to, to follow Jesus where they lived. And Peter would write a letter and in 1 Peter 4, he says, above all, he says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And nobody knew it better than Peter. Let me invite the worship team to come up. And as they do, let me invite you to just, uh, I don't know, close your Bibles if you had them open. Sit up, maybe just kind of move yourself for just a second, just to kind of waken up your, your heart and your mind and your soul. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you, if you're willing to, to just close your eyes and maybe take a, a deep breath. And we're going to just take a, a moment and we're going to invite the Lord to just to speak into us this morning. And that he might reveal to us some places or spaces or areas, thoughts, responses, actions that where we just have maybe fallen a little bit short. Where we have not been able to, as best as we've tried in our own abilities to, to follow Jesus. To love God with our whole heart. Or to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we just going to take a moment and just kind of in the quiet and you can take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and just say Lord would you just reveal these things to me in these moments and then I'm going to close with a, a prayer
Let me invite you to stand with me. And it's been a, a long tradition, a long practice in the life of the church, well beyond our lives or the lives of even our grandparents or their grandparents, for followers of Jesus to, to take time to just pray a prayer of, of confession and to do that in a, a way that would be done together. We certainly take time on our own, hopefully, to, to, Lord, show me where I've wronged, and Lord, would you forgive me for the wrongs? But there's something about doing that in a, in a community where we're not necessarily like revealing our darkest secrets, but we're admitting to one another that we simply don't have the ability on our own to do the things that we thought we did, and we mess up sometimes, and that we are able to just say that to the Lord, and then on the flip side, to receive his grace. So this morning, there's going to be a prayer up on the slide behind me. And if you are willing and, and desiring to, I'm going to invite you just to, to pray this with me. It may look new to you, so you might just even want to just sit and listen to it and just take it in today. Or if you feel like reading it with me today as, as a prayer this morning, then you can. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.